Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Since Bush, Obama, and Trump all commemorated D-Day anniversaries on D-Day, on the D-Day anniversary, why didn't President Biden? Well, I can tell you that certainly the uh, val- his value for the role that men and uh, the men who served uh, on D-Day uh, and the memory of them, uh, the families who have uh, kept their memories uh, alive over the course of years on this day is something the president has spoke to many, many times in the past. Um, it's close to his heart. Joe Biden is the worst leader of the military in American history. Would a good leader call our troops dumb? Watch this. And two, I appointed Johnson to the Academy. I just want you to know that. Clap for that, Mr. Speaker. you all, Must be slow here, man. Would a good leader call our troops dull? How the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. You are, why, you're a really dull class. I mean, come on, man. Is the sun getting to you? I would think you'd have an opportunity when I say that about the Navy to clap. Pause for a moment and consider how insecure and low energy you have to be to insult people for not clapping for you. Country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. Oh, yeah, that's right. Always a classic. I almost forgot about that one. It's still painful to watch to this day, four years later. Someone who received absolutely zero clapping was Kamala Harris at the U.S. Naval Academy last week. Kamala gave what was essentially... ...for America's most prestigious military school. The entire speech is nauseating. We were forced to watch some of it, and now you have to, too. Here's a painful 30 seconds. You are electrical engineers who will soon help convert solar and wind energy into power, convert solar and wind energy into combat power. And just ask any Marine today, would she rather carry 20 pounds of batteries or a rolled up solar panel? And I am positive she will tell you a solar panel 
and so would he. Hilarious. Guys, there's only one politician in America who has proven that they can weaponize wind power, and it's not Kamala Harris. Pair dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help them cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from Republicans all last week was that you... <laughs> it never gets old. Kamala was right about one thing in that address, and that's that the military has gone fully woke. Check out these humiliating ads from the U.S. Army. This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California, with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. Embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. And even the army is embarrassed. After getting ratioed and downvoted into oblivion, 155,000 downvotes on YouTube alone, the army shut off the comments on that video. These are the people fighting to preserve free speech and defend our constitution. Your grandfather's army held Bastogne, Normandy, and Iwo Jima. But mean YouTube commenters are enough to get the modern army to retreat. Speak up about all this and you'll find yourself out of a job like Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, who was fired for saying mandatory diversity trainings in the military are rooted in critical race theory, which is rooted in Marxism. He's, of course, 100% correct. CRT is racist, Marxist, garbage, specifically designed to make us hate each other. It is the polar opposite of what is found in our founding documents of this country, the same documents that Biden swore to defend against enemies both foreign and domestic. So how's Joe doing on that front? Is America more defended against enemies foreign? Well, it's hard to think of a larger threat to peace in our world than Iran. Iran's the number one sponsor of terror on the planet and is directly responsible for killing or maiming thousands of Americans in Iraq and Afghanistan. They are alone the financial backers of Hezbollah, which just rained down missiles onto our ally Israel, killing Jewish civilians indiscriminately. It is not a stretch to say Iran has funded the killing of more Americans and American allies in the past 20 years than any nation on earth. So what is Biden doing about it? Sending them more money. It's hard to believe, but it's true. By re-engaging in the Iran deal, the terror state will get billions of your tax dollars. This will end in more carnage for American troops and allies. It's malicious. Speaking of carnage, how is Biden doing against defending our country from enemies domestic. Not great. Murder rates in American cities are skyrocketing as Antifa roam cities burning and beating U.S. citizens at will. Just this weekend, Antifa beat an Asian man in Portland nearly to death because they thought he was a reporter. Want sedition and insurrection? Leftist domestic terrorists seceded part of Seattle and have laid siege to a federal courthouse in Portland for over 300 days. Where is our military? Certainly not protecting the American people at home. But then why should they want to? As if morale could not be lower, both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris sent insulting tweets to mark the beginning of Memorial Day. Biden said, stay cool. Yeah, great. And Kamala said, enjoy the long weekend. It was a long weekend for grieving families who lost loved ones, you cackling gremlin. Disrespect for our armed services is the new norm. One of the first acts of the Biden presidency was to let American soldiers sleep on a cold garage floor parking lot. But not even a parking lot was good enough 
for a veteran group attempting to honor fallen American service members. The group, called Rolling to Remember, organizes a bike ride through D.C. annually on Memorial Day. It's hard to think of a more noble or patriotic mission. That is why the Pentagon has historically always allowed the group to stage their ride in their massive parking lot. But not this year, not Biden's Pentagon. Biden's Pentagon banned Rolling Thunder, I'm sorry, Rolling to Remember, from using the parking lot. Why, you might ask? They said it was because of COVID. This show went to the new meeting spot, an abandoned wasteland called RFK Stadium in D.C., to ask the riders how it felt to have Joe Biden tell you that an empty Pentagon parking lot was too good for you. Here's what they had to say. Seems like an insane thing of all places, the Pentagon, to tell you you can't gather here. I couldn't say it any better. <laughs> what I find also ironic, anyone else with an agenda can get a permit. It is worth fighting for integrity in our election system, which means that they are free from interference by a hostile or an unfriendly nation. Let's put the resources into upgrading the state's elections systems. Because what we know is this, there are a lot of states that are dealing with antiquated machines, right? Which are vulnerable to being hacked. I sit on the Senate Intelligence Committee and Senate Homeland Security Committee. And we receive all kinds of information about the vulnerabilities to our national security. We are vulnerable in terms of foreign interference with our elections. It's my understanding that some of the election system vendors have required states to sign agreements uh, that prevent or inhibit independent uh, security testing. I actually held a demonstration for my colleagues here at the Capitol. Um, where we brought in um, folks who, before our eyes, hacked election machines, um, those that are not, those that are being used in many states. There's a saying that I'm sure many of you have heard, which is, the, you know, the difference between being hacked and not being hacked is knowing you've been hacked. <laughs> Reagan and World War II and the sense of us as the good guys in the world. How are we doing? Well, we were the good guys in 1984. It felt that way. It hasn't felt that way in recent years. So Obama's had really a different task. Uh, we were we seen too often as the bad guys. And he has a very different job from, from Reagan was all about America. And you talked about it. Obama is, we are above that now. We're not just parochial. We're not just chauvinistic. We're not just provincial. We stand for something. I mean, in a way, Obama's standing above the country, above, above the world. He's sort of God. He's, he Mike, Pence's, Mike Pence's legacy is so weird. It's just this boring nothing of a man who decided to run with a guy no one, including him, thought was going to win. Nobody wanted to run with and wound up being number two to one of the worst leaders in the history of the world. It's like if Hitler had a sidekick named Dennis. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 8th of June, year of our Lord. It's a good intro. Amazon drivers beating people up, press secretary. Biden keeps the greatest generation near his heart. A great segment by Benny from Turning Point USA. Obama's God. Voting machines are fucking pieces of shit. Don't see that in the media, do you? But that's your vice president. And of course, uh, Hitler reference. So, going a day early today because I'm taking off to see bro an undisclosed location on Friday. So I got the next couple days to get some shit done and then take off and head on down and and uh, hook up with my brother. So it'll be kind of a fun time and I'll report about it on Monday, which will be our next podcast. So 
Um, that intro with the kind of a general theme of violence. We got a violence problem in America. It, it's. I'm I'm just gonna play a, a montage here. Uh, let's see. Um, Biden, Cooper, Yamilchiel Cinder, another violent segment, and then you're gonna hear a Yale professor. And it pretty much sums up why that Amazon person beat the living shit out of a white person. Congratulations. I'm proud of each and every one of you. This past year has been an extraordinarily difficult year for our country and for the world. The times of loss and anxiety and disruption. And I know you felt it too. Losing loved ones and friends. Losing time with each other. But you've been incredibly resilient, and you're ready for what comes next. No graduating class gets to choose the world in which they graduate. Every class enters the history of the nation up to the point that has been written by others. But few classes, once in every few generations, enters at a point in our history where it actually has a chance to change the trajectory of the country. Just three years after I stood where you're standing, two of my political heroes, Dr. King and Robert Kennedy, were gunned down. The Vietnam War divided the nation and divided families. We're in the midst of a great movement for civil rights, women's rights, and environmental rights. We faced an inflection point, and we did our best to seize that moment because things were changing so rapidly. And now, you face another inflection point. As we put this pandemic behind us, rebuild our economy, root out systemic racism, and tackle climate change, we're addressing the great crises of our time with a greater sense of purpose than ever before. And because of you, your generation, I've never been more optimistic about the future than I am today. You represent one of the most gifted and talented and well-educated generations in American history. And you're going to see more change in the next 10 years than you saw and we saw in the last 50 years. But it's going to be up to you. It's going to be up to you to translate that unprecedented change into a greater measure of happiness and prosperity for not only you and our nation, but for the world around you. And I know you will. The Irish poet Seamus Heaney once wrote, history says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the long-forward tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history can rhyme. Graduates, you have a chance to make hope and history rhyme. So congratulations. Go out and do what you can. May God bless you and your families. Good evening. 150 days since the worst single act of political violence since the Civil War, and the man who incited it is crying about being kept off social media. 
Thank you so much. Um, my question is, can you talk a bit about how President Biden plans to convince, especially our European allies, that President, former President Trump was an anomaly in some ways? All of the things that he did to, in some ways, traumatize those leaders, calling into question the need for NATO. What's the plan there? And is he concerned that those scars are going to be deeper than, the, than his ability to address them in this one trip? For a New York City-based psychiatrist saying she fantasizes about killing white people during a speech at Yale University. Dr. Aruna Kilan Nani making those explosive comments in a guest lecture to medical students back in April. I had the fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, daring their body, and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively desolate. What about like that? Like I did the world a favor. The white people are out of their minds and they had been for a long time. We are asking a demented, violent predator who thinks that they're a saint or a superhero to accept responsibility. It ain't going to happen. They have five holes in their brain. The psychiatrist claims she was speaking metaphorically, and Yale is now backtracking, saying in a statement that those comments are antithetical to school values, but the university was well aware of the speech and reportedly restricted online viewing after it happened. So, Dana, it seems like the doctor needs a doctor. She seems nice. And so for those that don't like the five, here's the actual soundbite. I'm going to turn up my volume because you can't download it. It's on Substack, and I tried to get it. Uh, but here she is. This is the cost of talking to white people at all. The cost of your own life is they stuff you dry. There are no good apples out there. White people make my blood boil. Around five years ago, I took some action. I systemically, systematically, something to do. White girls did, most of my white friends. And I got rid of a couple of white bypasses, not the next group, too. I stopped watching the news. Once I started, I couldn't stop. I had less than 1% left. It was also public service. I had fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, daring their body, and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless. With a gun to my step, like I did the world a fucking favor. I she seems very nice. Article comes from Barry Weiss and Substack because the media is never going to cover this stuff. This is the cost of talking to white people at all. The cost of your own life as they suck you dry. There are no good apples out there. White people make my blood boil. I had fantasies unloading a revolver in the head of any white person that got in my way. Burying their body and wiping my bloody hands, I walked away relatively guiltless with bounce on my step like, like I did the world a fucking favor. White people are out of their minds and they have been for a long time. We are now in a psychological predicament because white people feel that we are bullying them when we bring up race. They feel that we should be thanking them for all that they have done for us. They're confused, and so are we. We keep forgetting that directly talking about race is a waste of our breath. We're asking the demented, violent predator who thinks that they are a saint or a superhero to accept responsibility. It ain't going to happen. They have five holes in their brain. It's like banging your head against a brick wall. It's just like sort of not a good idea. We need to remember that directly talking about race to white people is useless because they are the wrong level of conversation. Addressing racism assumes that white people can see and process what we're talking about. They can't. That's why they sound demented. They don't even know they have a mask on. White people think it's their actual face. 
We need to get to know the mask. Yeah. Arua Kililana. And she's a psychiatrist. You know, you, you couple that with Biden's speech there. And what you end up getting is why we have violence in our street. Why there were 55 people shot over the weekend in Chicago. When you continually demonize white people, this is what you get. It's what you get. And you'll always get it. You will always have violence. I mean, Yamichi Cinder, we pay for it. Um, can you talk a bit about how President Biden plans to convince your European allies that former President Trump was an anomaly? Is there concern that their scars are going to be deeper his ability to address them? An actual journalistic question might touch on the fact that Biden has given Russia green light to complete a Nordic stream, or the Danish media recently reported that Obama-Biden administration spied on the EU. But Trump, I mean, we ran a whole weekend, literally, about whether Trump had his pants on right. Then we're going to do seltzer in a bit. I know you've seen it on every conservative thing, but how can you not do it? Did Amazon's white fragility, this is information liberation. Did Amazon's white fragility training lead worker to assault white women for her white privilege? A 21-year-old Amazon delivery woman eventually beat another woman, 67, who had called her a bitch after the San Francisco area driver told her to check her white privilege when she complained about a delayed package. Itzel Ramirez, the Amazon driver, was arrested after she was filmed assaulting a woman in Almadia County, Sheriff's Office said Friday. I believe the Amazon driver said something about your white privilege, and the tenant said, you don't need to be a bitch about it. Turned around and walked away. Ramirez was so in- enraged that she began punching the woman in the head and upper body manning landed many su- super blows. And I can't. It starts as a tense conversation well, let's listen with an to Amazon this. delivery driver turned into an Oh, God. On a Here, let's watch this version. Starts as a tense conversation with an Amazon delivery driver turned into an assault on a 67-year-old Castro Valley woman. Surveillance cameras caught the attack. Now police have made an arrest. NBC Barry's Christy Smith joins us live from Castro Valley with the story behind this troubling video. Christy. Yeah, we're told that this happened around 6 o'clock last night right here behind me in Castro Valley, that a woman was waiting for her package to be delivered and got an alert that it had arrived. Now, this is according to the owner of the complex. A short time later, that woman was being hit repeatedly. Now, we're told that she came out and couldn't find the package and saw an Amazon driver and questioned her about the package and was told to be patient. Then, of course, the encounter escalated and turned violent with the woman getting hit repeatedly. There are two angles of this from security cameras. Now, again, according to the complex owner, the exchange that led up to this was that the woman was told to be patient, and she waited in that lobby for about 15 minutes for a package and noticed the driver talking with another delivery person, then asked about her package again. He says then the driver said something about white privilege not getting the package there any faster than the 67-year-old old woman he says called her a name and that's when it escalated i just think that the violence we're seeing these days uh, is very troubling she seems nice 
But it was it was it in this article. Um, the process, uh, the proceeded to go on mass censorship spree, purging everyone. Okay. Uh, in 2018, Facebook announced they were going to start censoring misinformation and leads to real-world harm. We have identified that there's a type of misinformation in the shared, so blah, blah, blah. Proceed to go on a mass censorship spree, purging everyone to criticize mass immigration and other social media sites quickly followed suit. Are they going to ban misinformation about non-existent white privilege now that it can be plainly see be causing real-world harm? Just six months ago, Facebook announced they were overhauling their race-blind hate speech algorithms. The anti-white agenda is being pushed from the top down by the U.S. government, working in concert with the richest, most powerful, most privileged companies in the world. Rather than trying to ridiculous argue self-defense, Amazon driver Itzel Ramirez should argue that she was doing what she was trained to do. Because it's true. I mean, Rand Paul. Eh, damn file was jacked up. Him and his wife have been getting death threats just because he's criticizing Fauci. And then, of course, since it was January 6th, well, here comes the Lincoln Project. Who is Antifa? They stormed the beaches of Normandy, parachuted into the French countryside, and gave their lives to face down and fight back against fascism. They took down Nazi machine gun nests, tore apart the Third Reich's strongholds, liberated concentration camps, liberated France, Italy, Belgium, Holland. Anywhere Antifa saw fascism, they fearlessly and relentlessly annihilated it. Fascism was defeated because of patriots like these, proud Americans who knew that the fight against fascists was not simply a battle between opposing nations. It was a war against inhumanity. A war that isn't nice, but cannot be lost. A war we still fight today. Anti-fascism. It's not a cable news talking point. It's an American ideal that should be memorialized because it was paid for in blood. The Lincoln. What the fuck? Why are they so enamored with that shit? I mean, nobody reported that Kamala Harris was told to go home. But this, this is what the, the, this is. I'm going to cover up my face or I'm going to bring it down here. I want you to really read this. A Democratic senator says he will not vote for overhaul of the U.S. election law, virtually guaranteeing the failure of the top Biden administration priorities. Senator Joan Manchin of West Virginia also restated his opposition to changing the filibuster. That's the AP. That's supposed to be, we just report the news. But then this race hustler who, once again, got rich, her whole job, and every place she's at is, how can I make money by calling everybody a racist? This is so on brand for this country. Record number of black voters show up to save this democracy, only for white supremacy to be upheld by cowardly, powery, hungry, white dude. Manchin is a clown. Now think of that statement just for a second. Before we go forward, think about that statement. If voter ID is Jim Crow, how the fuck did they do it? How'd you get a record 81 million people to vote 
if there's so much voter suppression going on. The new laws only say you can't do what you guys did before, which is vote by mail and ballot harvest. That, that's all it is. But these clowns get away with this shit. I mean, the Lincoln Project, let me flip forward, because this is just this is just the whole show right there. That statement shows everything these people say is a fucking lie. It's just a lie. It's not even based on truth. It's a narrative they get to fear people into voting and to make everybody hate each other and thus attack each other. All we're talking about is anti-Asian crime, which is perpetrated in majority by black people. Anti-Semitism, which is perpetrated majority by liberal Palestinian and Rashid Tlaib, Omar, and fucking Bush, and all them motherfucking anti-fucking-Semite Islamists. And somehow white supremacy is taking over the country. Yeah, this is happening all the time. White people are getting the beat down just because they're white. Somewhere in here, I had another video of another white lady who's getting beat the fuck up. But I can't find it now. I know I downloaded it. Just beating the shit out of somebody because they were white. And it's a dude again. It's a dude. Beating up somebody. And somehow it's it's okay. Yeah. Let me see if I have it back here. Nah, I don't have it. It's just like the ones before. It's it's nonstop. It is what is happening in our country, and they don't even report it. They don't report it. Because why would they? But this, the real anti-fascism. You had Cooper, once again, going with this stupid-ass... Oh, it's the worst thing. Then you have Ron Fournier. One six. One six rhyme. The last Auschwitz person leaves. Those liberated Nazi extermination camps firmly believe the horrors that happened there needed to be witnessed widely. History rhymes one six. Nobody was murdered. There was no gas chambers. But it's it's the narrative. Here's uh, Bree Newsom, race hustler. We're facing a massive coordinated effort to lay the foundation for USA to be apartheid state with a majority non-white population that's still dominated by a white mi- minority. The effort, a white minority, that that's totally wrong. America's still 70% white. That, that You can't know. Are you counting gay people? Well, that's only 5%, so where the fuck are you getting this shit? It's still dominated by a white minority. The effort to restrict voting education about racism, protest, and free assembly are all part of it. They use the pandemic to further increase wealth inequity and set the lower class back. Now they're following it up by restricting our ability to organize against it. This is an extremely critical time in the fight against the oppression of the ruling class. The situation in Palestine, I didn't get it. Uh, and the way the world responded deeply shook the ruling elites because they know that the only way to maintain status quo is by abandoning democracy in favor of genocide and apartheid. They also know the path is increasingly untenable. All right, let, let's let, let's break this down for a second. We'll get past the fact that she doesn't know how to use math because math's racist. 
What the fuck are you talking about? The left runs everything right now. But the problem is, the way the media reports everything, you're so ignorant, you don't understand how our system works. And it's a 50-50 Senate, and there's eight-seat majority for the left. They lost. They didn't win. They just got the presidency because people didn't want Trump. But you make this shit up. How are they changing anything? Obama. Slammed GOP voting laws. Suggests they're rigging the game. Former President Obama on Friday blasted voting laws being pushed by Republicans across the country. Suggesting the lawmakers championing such electoral changes are rigging the game. Unlike the left's wanting to take over all voting from the federal, from Washington, D.C. But okay. That's the kind of dangerous behavior that we're going out to push back on, Obama said during an event with the Economic Club of Chicago while mentioning a GOP voting law enacted in Georgia. Obama said the law created a different set of rules for how votes are counted in Atlanta versus how they're counted in the rest of Georgia. Weird, this sort of conspiracy pandering gets you supposedly banned for appearing on CNN. When Trump lies about election election laws, he gets kicked off social media. When Obama does it, he gets published in the media. Obama said that the law created a different set of rules for how votes are counted in Atlanta versus how they count in Georgia. That's a flat-out false lie. Obama spread misinformation, undermining the faith in the election. Yeah, but, you know, what does CNN do? They go after guns. They're not, they're not going to report that. They're going to they're gonna play this fucking tripe. More people have died in America because of gun violence than have died in America because of war. And America right now is a war zone on our streets. We see the gun violence. We see people in the streets, in the communities, in the malls, in the churches, in the temples, in the schools, getting shot and killed. And it's preventable. The left just holds on to Stoneman Douglas and Sandy Hook. And they were horrible events. But they don't talk about 55 people shot in Chicago. The crime everywhere. I mean, for fuck's sake, do I need to put up another slide? No, I don't. You're educated. All they're going to talk about it. Here's Liz Cheney. I'm not even going to play the soundbite. Literally lying and saying, oh, they voted this way because they were scared of their voters. Really? The opposite was happening. The opposite. People were being vandalized because they wouldn't vote to impeach. California assault weapon ban struck down. The court found the state's ban on the sale of AR-15s and other powerful rifles violated the Second Amendment. Judge Roger Benitez ruled the guns targeted by California in common use. He said the state ran afoul of the Constitution. Oh my God, they lost their shit on that. Biden calls systemic racism one of the greatest crises of our time in another goddamn speech. Then you got Bill Crystal, supposed conservative. Key to creating as many bulwarks as possible versus the threat of GOP hijacking of 2024 election. Dems need to hold governorships of PA, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada. Would be good to win Arizona or Georgia and win a couple of legislation chambers in those states. This seems among the more achievable efforts. This is Bill Crystal Before Trump... He was a major brain for the Republican strategy.
They are creating this. About what you say, so you scream, Oh, please look at me living through an iPhone, TikTok dream. Rate me, date me, great me, pay me, begging for attention. Boo hoo, you gone out of your damn mind, kid. Nobody cares about what you do. Everybody else when you don't even know yourself All your selfies ain't no revolution They're slowing down our evolution I suppose I need to apologize And if I In the corporate white noise, tweet this, post that, gram this, talk that, swipe left, tap here, tube this, not that. You think that they're on your side? They only share what they decide. You're just part of the corruption that's peddling crap for mass consumption. Oh, jeez, you labeled me. Your tolerance is so extreme. Which one do I get to be? A fascist bigot or a Nazi? You're out of your damn mind, kid. Cause I don't care about what you think. why we have violence look at those fucking fruit bats what the fucking fuck this is one of those things that i always say that this is why there's no fucking way that virus came from fucking animals to people they don't want nothing to do with us it had to be man-made because animals look at this fucking what the fuck but yeah, systemic racism is a problem. Yeah, white supremacy is everywhere. Yeah. Every single day our media scares people and makes them fucking desperate. Then they go out and beat motherfuckers, shoot motherfuckers, murder motherfuckers. Because this is what journalism is. Journalisming is. 
forever. With the Biden administration's voting rights agenda at best on life support, and as the Democratic Party considers next steps in light of Joe Manchin's opposition to that sweeping voting rights bill that would have undermined every single one of the voter suppression laws, with his opposition showing no sign of fading, according to the Washington Post, at least 14 states have enacted 22 laws creating new hurdles to vote. Another 61 bills are making their way through legislatures in 18 states, all of which makes this federal push for legislation even more urgent Manchin's opposition to the bill and eliminating the filibuster, all the more exasperating for Democrats. Joining us now, Democratic Majority Whip, Congressman Jim Clyburn of South Carolina. Claire McCaskill is still here. Um, I'm going to be really brief because I, I just need you to fill me up with wisdom here. But 22 bills have already been signed into law. It started with Georgia, but there are now 22 laws that have been passed. Can you just speak to the urgency of the federal legislation? Well, I think the Constitution is very clear. Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution makes it very clear that Congress has a right to determine uh, the rules concerning federal elections. So this whole notion uh, that uh, Congress is powerless is just not true. When I was 18 years old, I could not vote. Uh, raise, uh, uh, you know, I, I had to wait until I was 21. And so later on, we drop it to 18. So 18-year-olds can vote today but to, because Congress said so. The states didn't do it. So when Congress did it, the states decided to come along. So we've got to do the same thing here. We've got to decide whether or not the members of Congress are going to stand up with constitutional principles. Do you miss being president? The real answer is I love to be president. President Biden's push for voting rights and his big infrastructure package took a big hit on Sunday from a fellow Democrat. Chief Washington correspondent John Carl joins us now. And John, the blow comes from West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. And George, when there is a 50-50 Senate and all Republicans are in opposition, Joe Biden needs every single Democrat to get anything done. That could sink the move to override Republican state laws that limit voting access. Hi there, everyone. It's four o'clock in the East. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has wittingly or unwittingly ushered in an official death sentence for most of the Biden agenda by enacting a brand new standard for legislation, claiming that he will not back legislation that doesn't have bipartisan support even if he backs what the legislation is doing. The New York Times writes it up this way, quote, the senator has effectively given Republicans veto power, saying he does not oppose the substance of the legislation, only its lack of bipartisan support. The West Virginia senator delivering the fatal blow to voting rights legislation. That Busy summer ahead, infrastructure, election reform. What does the press get wrong when covering Biden's agenda? When you watch the news, when you read the news, what do you think we get wrong? Well, look, I think some of our muscles have atrophied a little bit over the last few years, and there isn't a, a lot of memory, a recent memory or long, longer memory on how long it takes to get legislation forward or how messy mm. uh, the process of negotiating and the process of getting legislation across the finish line. There are times in your briefings where you seem so comfortable. Then there's times where you seem frustrated by the lines of questioning. So I want to know what the job is like versus what you expected it to be like. 
Well, I'm a human being, so even though uh, every day I try to be completely even-keeled and always my objective per the president's direction is to pre treat people with respect and take questions and provide accurate information, that's my goal every day, but I'm also a human. Uh, and sometimes when you're answering the question, uh, saying the same question a tenth time or when a question, uh, more, more likely the things that get under my skin are when a question, the premise of a question is based in uh, inaccurate information, misleading information uh, that can be frustrating I, I try not to show it too much try not to let people see me sweat too much but occasionally I have a moment of humanity well, so those questions that are based on falsehoods they come from brands like Newsmax which uh, you know it does sometimes get called on in the briefing room I know a lot of liberals don't want Fox News to get called on I think they should be but I know a lot of liberals a lot of Emirates don't want it so why do you call on Fox News and Newsmax you know, you used to be on this side of the camera. You were a CNN commentator in between uh, your time working for the Obama administration and now working for Biden. What did you learn here? What did you take from CNN and, and how does it apply to your job now? I mean, a lot. One, you know, when you're a CNN commentator or commentator for any network, you do spend a lot of time uh, sitting on a set. Uh, being prepared to give your input on mm. a breaking news issue or an issue that's developing in real time. And that's certainly good preparation for standing in front of the camera at the briefing every day. So let's break that down. I couldn't get the soundbite in there where she is saying, fill me up with your wisdom. Fill me up was the exact words out of Nicole Wallace. You have them worshiping Obama, freaking out over Mansion. That seltzer thing just it it sums us up. Now understand, everything is so connected that a lying piece of shit journalist that can ask the question, "What do we get wrong so we could be better for you, better spokesman?" A thing you never hear for a Republican president. Especially off the odd budsman of CNN. Former Treasury official suspended for comparing Brian Seltzer to GIMP. Fun fact, Brian Seltzer is a GIMP from Pulp Fiction. And they show the picture. He got suspended. This tweet got me temporarily suspended for Twitter. I appealed and won. I simply pointed out that the comparing a public figure to a fictional movie character does not violate the terms of service. Dear Twitter safety, you really put big tech critic roped in, in Twitter jail for comparing CNN Brian Seltzer to GIMP? I'd be very upset if I were the GIMP as well. But you know GIMP's a fictional character, right? Must have been a fake complaint. And then they break down... All the things that people are called. It's okay. Boot licking. CNN seltzer embarrassed himself. The gooey Pasaki interview. As a feature during Sunday's so-called reliable sources, CNN host Brian Seltzer flaunted a pre-taped interview with Saki where he came off as a bootlicker for the Biden administration. Seltzer ultimately embarrassed himself with softball questions after softball questions that ended up into a puff piece. A puff piece is what I think they meant to say. For the press secretary, he even invited her to lash the media for getting stuff wrong. Seltzer's first question out of the gate was him asking Pisaki to rip the press for inaccuracies in their reporting about Biden. Busy summer ahead, infrastructure, election reform. What does the press get wrong when covering the Biden's agenda? 
when you watch the news, when you read the news? Do you think we, what do we get wrong? It was just last year the Seltzer and the rest of the liberal world would treat Trump press secretary Kaylee McKinney's criticism of press as a threat to the First Amendment. Either way, Pazaki suggested that the media journalistic muscles have atrophied a little bit over the last few years because of the former President Trump. She even quipped that the media had a bad long-term memory for how legislation got passed. Of course, Seltzer just sat there and laughed. The question was followed by Seltzer asking Pazaki about her feelings about how frustrating it would be dealing with the press. At one point in her answer, Pazaki said she would get frustrated by how the premise of a question is based on inaccurate, misleading information. This prompted Seltzer to press on her why she continued to take questions from Fox News. While claiming he supported the idea that those outlets should be called on, Seltzer noted that a lot of liberals don't want Fox to get called on. So why do you call on Fox and Newsmax? As the interview went on, Seltzer brought up the revolving door between CNN and DNC and touted Saki's time as a CNN commentator. You were here. You were awesome. But it wasn't too long ago that Seltzer would be shrieking about Fox employee heading to the Trump administration. They're all just fucking... Even Mediate, a liberal site, Seltzer asked Jim Psaki what media gets wrong, and they dog him for it. It's just fucking embarrassing. It's just fucking embarrassing. I mean, you got to be kidding me. While they're sucking their ass, every one of them is doing some segment on the GOP stealing 2024 somehow. Um, Professor of History at Yale, Timothy Snyder, puts forth this scenario about the 2022 and 2024 elections. Quote, I have the Cassandra feeling this spring because it is so obvious where all of this is heading. President Trump tells a big lie that elections are rigged. This authorizes him and others to seek power in extra-democratic ways. The lie is institutionalized by state legislation that suppresses voting. And that gives state legislatures themselves the right to decide how to allocate the electoral vote in presidential elections. The scenario then goes like this. The Republicans win back the House and Senate in 2022, in part thanks to voter suppression. The Republican candidate in 2024 loses the popular vote by several million and the electoral vote by the margin of a few states. State legislatures claiming fraud after the electoral count, vote count, the House and Senate accept that altered count. The losing candidate becomes the president. We no longer have democratically elected government. The big lie is designed not to win an election, but to discredit one. What the fuck? You wanted HRS1 to rig elections because you knew you couldn't do what you just did forever. And the AP freaking out. Let's just remember. Let's just remember, boys and girls. Once to 327. Once to 327. It's not even close. I'm not even going to read replies to the AP. People are like, what the fuck? The media melted down over it. Byron York, the Democrat filibuster hypocrisy, he breaks down 327. Democrats use filibuster 327 times. 
They're the party that stops the other party from doing stuff. They always have. Always. And the media supports it when Republicans are in charge. They say the minority party is speaking for real America because Republicans won. That's how it goes. This is why. Holy cow, Republicans just flipped a mayorship in McAllen. This is not expected and shows Hispanic in the South Texas may have shifted the GOP even post-Trump. Republicans just flipped a city in a county. Biden won by 17. Hillary won by 41. That's 85% Hispanic. That's why you got Kamala down there saying this. And I want to emphasize that the goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States... Boys and girls, that was racist. Just a short while ago. That was racist. You couldn't say that. You couldn't say it. And of course, after the HR1 mansion thing, that lady... HR asked about HR1. Pisaki notes that Biden put Kamala Harris in charge of it. <laughs> oh, God, these fucking people are just. That's racist as shit, too. That's racist. She's a black lady. You can't do that. And before we get over into COVID, because we're about to segue after a North Face. Twitter has suspended the account of Rebecca Jones, former dashboard designer for Florida Department of Health. Official notice, your account, Rebecca, has been suspended for violating Twitter rules, specifically for violating rules against platform manipulation and spam. But we had last podcast that they, yeah, the New York Times tried to take up for her. Chris Cuomo tried to take up for her. But, yeah. So all this leads to reality every once in a while and we rarely play on this show pushback towards the liberal agenda well this week North Face targeted a fossil fuel company in Denver and said they did not want to put that logo on their stuff they had ordered uh, an order of jackets and stuff and they were just going to put their logo on it and they said no we're not doing that we don't want to be associated with with um, a petroleum organization, and they likened it to porn industry. That's what they said. So the CEO decided to do a campaign, and they put up billboards, and they ran this. I'm Chris Wright, CEO of Liberty Energy. North Face recently came out against my industry, even refusing to let one of my competitors put their company logo on a North Face jacket. I went through North Face's website of wide-ranging products, and I failed to find a single product that wasn't made out of oil and gas. The great majority of North Face's products, jackets, backpacks, outdoor pants, shirts, shoes, hats, etc., are dominantly made out of the oil and gas that we so proudly produce. Globally, 60% of all clothing fibers are made out of oil and gas. For North Face, it is likely 90% or more. 
So North Face is not only an extraordinary customer of the oil and gas industry, they are also a partner with the oil and gas industry. So thank you, North Face. And you're welcome. My God in heaven, I saw that on the Gutfeld show and I just said, you know what? That's some of the best shit I've ever seen. Because that's the media. The media ties in so much liberal stuff without facts. The majority of these fucking dumbasses don't realize that's petroleum. This is petroleum. Keyboard petroleum. Hat petroleum. Dick petroleum. Petroleum is everywhere. It's kind of like my son once went down a rabbit hole and, and I thought he was a weirdo, but he actually was true. Corn syrup. I mean, literally start looking at ingredients and you see that almost most of our diet is corn. We used to joke in our house, my wife was freaked out about corn and grains and dog food because it's bad for dogs' coats and they shit and it hurts their intestines. So we're grain free, but we're not grain free. We got corn in us all over the place. Right there, in my Gatorade, corn syrup. In my Monster, which I'm trying to cut down to one a day. I read some article, kind of scared shit out of me. But, misinformation is what they do. And right now, as they said, kooky, kooky, kooky. Most voters suspect COVID-19 came from a lab. The latest Rasmus, and I can't read the whole report because you have to pay for this one. National Telephone Online Survey finds 68% of likely U.S. voters believe it's likely the COVID-19 virus originated in a Chinese laboratory, including 43% who think it's very likely. 16% don't think it's likely. Hmm. They found... 78% of those that don't want to get the vaccine because they met people like me who just got healthy yesterday. And tomorrow's my first massless day. That's two weeks after the shot. Yeah, they don't want that shit. They, they don't want to take the vaccine. Journalists debate accuracy of U.S. official COVID death toll overcounting Fed the panic Versus still looking for ways to downplay things. And Britt Hume, the overcounting fed the panic to produce the lockdown, school closings, and regrettable decisions. Most basic Google search show Britters are lying on a false claim from a chronic liar. They're trying to attack them. Oliver Dorsey, never get the early stages of the pandemic. Brit's network asserted COVID wasn't there. If anything, we have consistently undercounted the true death toll of COVID-19. That's how they ran it on Mediate. But as the lab, so goes the death count. Because we counted everything as COVID. People who died of car crash who had COVID were COVID deaths. People that were struck by lightning and had COVID were COVID deaths. People who already had cancer and were dying but got COVID were COVID deaths. Every grand person in a fucking resting home that died in New York was already dying, but they got COVID and they called it that. But it really wasn't COVID that killed them. We know this. Anybody who was on social media knows it until they suppressed it because they still wanted to lock down for the election. 
medical examiner videos taken offline saying it's bullshit. I was forced to say it's COVID. I was forced to change it. It's about as sure to most Americans, not mega, as we know that the initial autopsy for George Floyd was drug overdose. And we changed that. The moment Keith Ellison took over. Then we have this great thread. Let me blast this up a little bit. By Crudium. I don't know who he is. The Democratic Party has become a party not of science, but of fealty to the clerics of science. I believe in science has come to mean I do not question expert authority, which is an antithetical to science spirit as you can get. The modern scientist research industry is like a, gro- a cross between a giant perpetual motion machine and a game of musical chairs. Scientific research is underwritten in large part by a steady stream of government funding. To keep the lights on their labs, scientists need to tap into the stream. They do so by designing research projects that conform to whatever government prioritizes at a particular moment. Hmm. At every such juncture, we've been admonished to believe the science, but this is not science, it's politics. Science demands a reflexive posture of skepticism toward received wisdom, tempered by trust and empirical evidence. Bowing habitually to expert authority on the strength of titles and credentials is the antithesis of scientific mindset. It is precisely what Democrats adopted the party of science monitor to reject willful obedience to those who hold cultural and political power. That's why we have stories over and over. The media's Wuhan lab scandal looks worse and worse. Worse and worse. And then this one. It is so fucking true. What they did over the last year is ruin this. Experts. It's what 2016 did to polls. Nobody trusts the polls. Neither did the Biden people. So they rigged an election by changing 80 voting laws. That would be rigging the election of the opposite was true. So I call it rigging the election. The media, so anxious to get rid of Trump, rigged the election by making sure grandpa in a basement never got touched and fulfilling their obligation to they, who they think uses their product and never showing Trump in a positive life. Never. And blaming him for 500K COVID deaths. The simple fact that we're on the other side of this and we know that this man lied about masks, he lied about the Wuhan lab, he lied about lockdowns, he knew it was a very bad seasonal flu, shows you everything you need to know about our expert class. Has anyone been more consistently wrong about COVID-19 than Chris Cuomo? This guy and his brother sum up with Falke how they have destroyed anybody trusting anything anymore. He faked COVID in his basement, went on a radio show and admitted he got in a fight with a person because he broke protocol and he was outside. But yet CNN still ran it as if 
he came out of his basement and he'd been in quarantine. His brother said he believed in the science, but he actually said he didn't trust experts and he sentenced 7,000 grandma and grandpas to death while he was calling Trump a grandma killer. This, this is you guys. This is what you do. I, I I don't know how you think you can't. Caught in the crosshairs, Dr. Anthony Fauci calls GOP description email profoundly misleading. CNN runs cover for Fauci, set up segments targeted conservatives using Fauci's email against him. Obviously, more people trust Fauci than the former president, Lauren Wright says. Still far from over, and yet... The narrative, there are attempts to rewrite the narrative, distort it, coming from the former president and his allies, some of them calling on Dr. Anthony Fauci to be fired. Joining us now, Pulitzer Prize-winning author and staff writer at The New Yorker, Lawrence Wright. His new book, The Plague Year, America in the Time of COVID, goes on sale tomorrow. Lawrence, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm just such a big fan of your work. The books you've written have, in some ways, shaped history itself. And I'm just wondering, and you touch on this in the new book, where you see people like the former president and some Republicans targeting Dr. Anthony Fauci now, saying he should be fired, painting him as the big villain in this entire pandemic, I wonder what you make of that. I think it's totally ridiculous. I mean, you know, Fauci has served under seven presidents. He's been a stalwart in public health. And- First of all, let me just ask if I'm being fair. Am I, am I building you up to be... Uh, thicker skinned about this than you are. Are you actually worried about this new sort of re-upping of attacks on you? Well, I'm concerned about that more because it's really very much an attack on science, I think, Rachel. Uh, You know, you you spoke and, and I think accurately depicted the growing extraordinarily productive relationship that I had with the activists when they came to me with legitimate concerns that the federal government, the scientists, the regulatory enterprise didn't fully appreciate that you needed to involve them in everything you do because it was their lives that were at stake. So I did reach out to them and it turned out to be an extremely productive relationship. They got my attention in a very theatrical, confrontative, iconoclastic way but they were fundamentally good people. They were not anti-science. What is the thread going through what's happening now is very much an anti-science approach. So that's a big, big difference. I mean, it is what it is. I'm a public figure. I'm gonna take the arrows and the slings, but they're just, they're fabricated. Uh, And and that's just what it is. But we'll we'll, we'll just have to do our jobs. Ask you about actually the, the point about developing a vaccine 40 years into your work on HIV and AIDS. Does the development process and the success with the COVID vaccines give us, should that give us any new hope for an HIV vaccine? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Let me ask you about trying to bridge some of the sort of politics and nonsense and some of the science that you were talking about. One of the reasons that there is this new uproar on the right. Again, I will be honest in saying I don't totally understand it, but there's a real focus on what the origin story is for where COVID-19 came from. And there are these conspiracy theories that rather than being a virus that crossed from 
animals into humans like other viruses have, that there was some, you know, purposely diabolically created virus that was purposely generated in a lab to unleash on the world as a bioweapon. And that seems to be some of what's going on in, in the right right now in the targeting of you. But scientifically speaking, is it key? Is it a key scientific factor in coming up with cures and coming up with vaccines and curing up, coming up with a final sort of solution to COVID-19 to know where it came from, to understand the origins of the virus. That is just fucking pathetic. Her last question pretty much says that it's a conspiracy theory. Her second question omits that he hurt the gay community because he made everybody think you can get it off regular contact. And if he was a scientist, he wouldn't really be saying that any skepticism is wrong. No. A note to Faki critics. For years, he's been working tirelessly on the development of a mRNA vaccine in anticipation of a potential major viral outbreak. And on January 11, 2020, his team downloaded the gene sequence and on the 13th began working on the vaccine. So keep it down. It's a pretty weak defense of Fauci to ignore what everyone is criticizing him for just to mention other things he's done. Reinventing history. He also had time to make 700 TV appearances and write a self-aggrandizing book while single-handedly working on a vaccine. Sure. But we've been rewriting history ever. Dennis in New York likes this headline. How anti-vaxxers got red-pilled. QAnon. What happened to global pandemic, vaccine resistance movement, age of conspiracy, collide, a black hole and misinformation that pose a grave threat to public health. QAnon. Real clear science. Are liberals and conservatives more anti-vaccine? There is a small fringe of conservative religious people who believe you're not supposed to do any kind of medical stuff. That is a a, a tenth of the masses of liberals. I just watched a, a, a Last Man Standing the other day about anti-vaxxing. It's a liberal thing. It's always been a liberal thing. But conveniently throughout it here's that article i was looking for i couldn't find it new york times celebrates rebecca jones oh she's a good guy she he defended breaking a behind the scene look at health florida and era whistleblower rebecca jones told through the secret text between blah 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 exclusive tain docs we're still living with this even though it's already been proven she's been charged with a fucking crime that she lied spammed on twitter For those invested in the right-wing fringe attacks on Rebecca Jones, here's a well-researched piece on what it's not true. Andrews Cuomo brother, who brought fire dashboard designer Rebecca Jones on program five times, has returned to defend her once more. Why is CNN promoting a conspiracy theorist? Almost as embarrassing as the interview with his brothers. Yeah, totally. Reinventing it. Because if people are over there, they don't, on CNN, they don't believe it. The most misinformed people in our country are those weirdos in that video, the 18% who want to destroy it. They don't believe anything opposing views say. Oh, fuck no. Why? Why would you think that? Come on. Which one's the volume knob? 
this one. Let me check, 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 check. It's not picking up as loud as it used to. Then we have this one. Once again, it's it's a conspiracy theory on the right, but uh, here's an article. Researchers want Americans to eat 90% left beef conform Paris Agreement. A University of Michigan study advocate, advocates drastic reduction in meat consumption. But yeah, it's the right making it up. Yeah, sure, sure. But my favorite throughout this, and you don't hear it a lot anymore, is this blurb of truth. Despite Biden's administration initiative, vaccines struggle to make a wave among black Americans. This one's from the Daily Caller. Less than 25% of black Americans have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine as of June 3rd. Only 19.5% of the demographic is fully vaccinated. That's from Politico. That's not the alt-right there, boys and girls. That's not a Tucker Carlson thing or a Ben Shapiro. The gateway drugs to fucking white supremacy. Less than a quarter of black Americans have received the first COVID-19 shot. That's less than other racial and ethnic groups struck by the CDC. Holy shit. It's the same thing the Daily Caller said. Biden administration knew the key to successful code vaccine campaign be reaching the most vulnerable populations, but more than five months in, even a blueprint that worked with other ethnic and racial groups ain't working with African-Americans. Hmm. Less than a quarter of black Americans have received the first COVID-19 shot as June 7, based on available federal data, amid a week-long stagnation that is defined under a million shots. We won't make the 70%. You don't get to celebrate July 4th. The slowdown has put black Americans behind the pace set over the past month by other racial ethnic groups tracked by Centers for Disease Control. The trend line worries health officials. The tough layer that we have to a tough layer that we have to address requires relationship building and going to make going to take a little longer. Octavia Martinez, executive director of Hog Foundation for Mental Health, who sits in the White House COVID nineteen Health Equity Task Force. We have systemic issues there. They're going to blame it on racism. So are they the racist one? One of the task force versus Simon was recommending ways to build trust in vaccines and effectively roll out those marginalized communities, chief among them black Americans who are dying from COVID at a disproportionate rate of 1% to 2% more than their population in a state. It's so huge. That was a lie, too. Some early ideas were incorporated in the administrative vaccine plan. We still have some places where the past of the history bias, discrimination, and hate and just costs an integrate. Uh, blah, he, ha, ho. Let's um, let's see if I can, I can download this. If I can download it, I'm gonna play it because I, I really want to see what they're gonna say here. Because it's just gonna be a bunch of goddamn word salads. That's not it. President Biden is already more than halfway to his goal of 100 million shots in 100 days. But some groups who need vaccines the most aren't getting access. White people are getting vaccinated at a much faster pace compared to black people, despite the fact that black people are nearly two. Let's see if I can get it this way. Sometimes I reload, it'll take it. There we go. Maybe. Let's see. Let me pause. 
President Biden is already more than halfway to his goal of 100 million shots in 100 days. But some groups who need vaccines the most aren't getting access. White people are getting vaccinated at a much faster pace compared to black people, despite the fact that black people are nearly two times more likely to die from COVID. This is Sarah Overmall, a healthcare reporter for Politico, and here's what you need to know about vaccine demographics. The federal government purchases and distributes the vaccines, but it's the states who give the vaccines to local counties and prioritize who gets them first. The CDC, aka the federal government, recommends who should be in which phase. States generally follow them, but also personalize plans to their needs, like including additional groups in earlier phases than the CDC recommends. Currently, 41 states are reporting on demographic data and the results are glaring. In New Jersey, black COVID deaths are 16% of the total, but of those vaccinated, only 5% are black and 66% are white. There are many reasons for these disparities, but a big one is speed. With Biden's 100 million goal and the advent of variants, a lot of states are prioritizing efficiency over equity. Mass vaccination sites and online appointment systems often leave out minority groups due to a lack of access to transportation and technology, thus serving the people who need them the least. So how does this get fixed? Biden recently pledged a million doses per week to minority communities, working with churches and local health centers to increase access. Addressing these disparities is a crucial early test for the Biden administration promise to tackle racial inequity. Trump killed 500,000 people to this, whatever this is. I don't even know what this is now. I mean, you gave him credit for the virus vaccine rollout. And he had nothing to do with it. Now you're going with this. Okay. That makes sense somehow. I don't know, but I guess it does because, you know, we're just, this is what, this is what we do. This, this is what we do. And it all starts because we can't stop getting woke. Turn it up. Turn it on. Rock it like we're bad to the bone. Get on the floor. Running loose. Gotta put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the party scene. If you think you can dance with me, this ain't no joke. Turn up. Let's get woke.
update on the incident, along with newly released body camera footage. We should warn viewers that this footage is disturbing. Wait, how was Luke holding a gun? This makes me want to puke. The Crows have just released the name of the armed suspect, Lucas Fox, who was released from jail hours before the confrontation. The gun found at the scene was also connected to a recent gas station robbery. 27-year-old Fox is the son of the late Wayne Foundation CEO, Lucius Fox, and currently works as head of security at Wayne Tower. They literally photoshopped a gun into Luke's hand in the... Not just any gun. It was linked to an armed robbery, which means when Luke wakes up, they're going to charge him for robbery and attempted assault. If Luke wakes. Yeah, that's some fucking bullshit right there. So you're used to the BLM, but underage kissing? Really? That's what we're going to go with. Those girls are underage. That's a Disney Plus. That's what you're giving your kids when you do Disney Plus, which we started because it was free, and then we ditched. Fucking shit's fucking out of control. Just out of control. So, we got a campus reform here. Students reject critical race when they realize what it would do to them. With campus reform, today we're at George Washington University talking with students about critical race theory. Do students know what it is, and will they agree with three of the most basic principles of critical race theory? Plus, do they think we should be teaching this in our schools? Let's find out. Do you guys know what critical race theory is? Uh, no, we're not quite sure. No? No, same. I don't. Uh, no, not exactly. I do not. No, I don't. I don't. I think I have a decent idea about it, but honestly, I can't say I'm an expert on the subject. So I'm going to read you a series of statements that kind of explains the basis of critical race theory. And then for each statement, I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree with it. So the first statement is the most important thing about you is your race. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, disagree. Disagree. Yeah. Disagree. Disagree as well. I disagree. Um, I just feel like there's a lot to everybody and race isn't. Race is a very important thing, but it's not the only important thing. There's more to a person than the race that is constructed by society. I mean, people can view themselves differently. It doesn't have to be, just don't agree with that. I disagree. I think there's so much more stuff that's more important, like your personality and how you are to other people. So the second one is race rather than merit should be the main factor in hiring decisions. Ooh. No, not the most important thing that people look at, uh, but, ooh. I disagree. Um, I disagree. Yeah, I disagree because uh, that shouldn't be of any importance. No, I disagree. People, people should be hired based on their skills because at the end of the day, the job that you do has nothing to do with the race that you're categorized in. And last statement is racism is in every single interaction that we have as Americans. Do you believe that? Uh, no, I don't believe that. Uh, I know it's very, it's very apparent and present in the United States, uh, but it's not in every single interaction. Uh, I don't know if I can say yes or no to that. Uh, I don't know if that's true necessarily. Do you think it's present in every single interaction? 
Um, no, not every single interaction, though. You know, knowing all of these things, knowing that these statements come from critical race theory, what if I were to tell you that all three of these statements are being taught to college kids, to kids in K through 12 in this country? Would you be surprised at this being taught? Yeah, I'm really surprised that it's being taught, and I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah, it is a little surprising, because I feel like there's been a lot of reform in that realm, but yet the education systems aren't picking up on that. Do you think this is something we should be teaching our kids? Um, no, not necessarily. No, that I don't think I don't believe that should be taught. Just uh, it's not really a good way to think about things. You know, looking at Martin Luther King Jr., everything that he's done for this movement, he always said we shouldn't judge each other based on the color of one's skin. Um, do you think this is what he envisioned for America? No, I mean, obviously you should be aware of race, but if you fixate on it so much to the point that you see nothing else and the other human being, then obviously that counters, you know, the type of activism he's trying to do. No, definitely not. I think you want it um, a more, like, combined America and not, like, focus... Like, focus on race is important, like, history-wise, but it should be more respectful and not, not separating people. We have a generation of fucking morons. You know, I always dog these weird-ass fucking millennials, but dude, come the fuck on. Come the fuck on. Here's some good ones that I found online. I think it's pretty funny. Let me blow this up. Why are, are all of these people who spend their whole time calling everybody racist, they're married to white folk. If a fetus is a person at six weeks pregnant... Is that when the child support starts? Yeah, she's a fucking idiot. But it brings us to our next thing, because I had to get those in. I forgot to do it up front. Roosevelt University professors admit on hot mic to teach. Oh, geez, just covering up my face completely. Let's get this straight. I think my chair moved. I think that's a problem. Yeah, I'm too far this way. I'll fix it later. Fuck it. Admit to hot mic to teaching social justice all day long, every day. And this is the line they got. Um, Just before the regular call started on February 25th, Martine told Harris that she fits in so well with the university philosophy and mission. I mean, it's all social justice all day, every day, responded Harris. I got to talk about all the things I love all the time. Really, I'm living the life over here. Roosevelt University considered a... It's focus on social justice, strong selling point. Indeed, the school offers a bachelor degree in SJW. Yeah, that's real. I always flip out the kids that take my master's class on fiscal policy and public budgets when the first three or four classes are devoted to philosophy of social justice and how you organize society, Harris said. We don't talk about one, you know, the budgetary items. They're like, oh man, Professor Martin, this is a really weird way to teach budget. If you don't understand your values, you don't allocate resources among public priorities that are scarce, but all needed, right? In an interview with Campus Reform, Martyr clarified that his approach to social justice in class is data-based. Yeah! Blacks are shot more than whites. Got it. That's not data. That's uh, what we like to call bullshit. Because here's the best thing. You'll see the punchline in a second. Removal of a crust construction equipment because they had an American flag on it. Think about that for a second. That's what your tax dollars are paying for at these fucking state schools. That's good stuff.
University of Washington student government wants school to introduce content warnings in class. If implemented, students will be able to submit formal complaints about professors who don't use content warnings because it can hurt them. Okay. Bozy State will launch new American Values Institute after ID lawmakers cut funding over leftist curriculum. Idaho lawmaker slash Boise State University budget for $1.5 million in response to its implementation of CRT. The university president framed the institution as a corrective measure against polarization. I think they should have cut more, Boise State student Omar Alain told Campus Reform. There's a lot of indoctrination that some courses that we take try to show us. The only difference is in Idaho and at BSU, they're subtle about it. But it's there and noticeable. Of course. Of course they are. It's all they fucking do nowadays. It's what they do. That's why headlines like this sum up everything in the left. They don't have to bomb them. Just take those rockets. And then they don't put out the facts. This is a survey by NYPD. You should put more officers on the street. 41% say they should 28 somewhat agree somewhat disagree strongly disagree is 20 percent and 12 percent i don't know so you're talking a 69 72 and let me blow them up so you can see them it's it's a total rebuke of what they've been doing but under crt kids don't know anything Georgia Board of Education votes to censor American history. This is like 800 articles. This is from The Intercept, but there's a billion of these, and they're fucking non-stop because you got the Washington Post doing articles like this. White bird watching is patriarchy. Washington Post editor, genius, get me 2,000 words on bird bigots. You don't think that's how decisions are made at the Washington Post? Are you fucking crazy? The racist legacy of many, many birds carry. It's a long June 3rd piece by Daryl Fears that tackles the birdwatching community. Fear wrote, even John James Audubon name is fraught and nations embroiled in racial reckoning. It seems the great bird artist and cataloger owned slaves and didn't think much about emancipation. Some of his behavior is so shameful that 116-year-old National Audubon Society, the country's premier bird conservation group with 500 local chapters, hasn't ruled out changing its name. I am deeply troubled by the racist action of John James Audubon and recognize how painful that legacy is for black, indigenous, BIPOC, but he spells it out. Interim Chair Chief Elizabeth Grace said in a statement in May, although we have begun to address this part of our history, we have a lot more to unpack. So it's not too hard for them to make the stretch that, well, you know, if you like birds, you're a racist. Yeah, that makes sense. If a dude a whole long time ago was a racist, And you like what that dude liked. Well, there's the slide rule, boys and girls. You're racist.
And if you don't think you're a racist, that makes you more of a racist. You're like a racist squared. But this kind of racism, yeah, it's okay. Yes. Bella Hadid uploaded a story on her Instagram showing a photo of a football team and saying Palestine versus Australia in 1939. Now, I'm not sure what she's trying to say here, but this team, all Jews, with even Hebrew writing on the jersey. This team wasn't representing the Palestinian state. They were representing the British mandate. And in fact, it was Maccabi Tel Aviv playing as Israel. You know, maybe she was referring to the Palestinian national team and not Maccabi Tel Aviv. But check this. This is the logo of the national Palestinian team. Yep. Eretz Israel. Israeli land. So as I said, I'm not sure what she's trying to say here, unless she's trying to say that Jews were also here. But on this you can say, Yeah, she's a fucking racist. But I love how Dan Bondingo attacks critical race. When you do read into the, uh, the, the bedrock principles of what critical race theory is, you know, the white male patriarchy, knowledge is a construct of power. If you're white, you're an oppressor. Um, I ask you, I, you're white, are, are you an oppressor? Well, my, I, I don't believe that I am. I make a point to try not to oppress people. But through the lens of my own That's family, cool. I can see both the strengths and the flaws of the American experience. And I'll expand on that just briefly, if, if I may. Um, some of my ancestors, like Ebenezer Fisk and Ephraim Fisk, fought in the American Revolution. There were three Fisks on the Salem Witch Trial, and they sent a bunch of young women who were widely regarded as innocent now to their death. So I'm not going to go back and say that we shouldn't talk about the Fisks that were on the Salem Witch Trial jury because it is the darker side of my family's history. And I think with America, we're at our best when we're willing to kind of self-scrutinize. And this is one of the things that I share with progressive audiences all the time about American exceptionalism. In our 235 years, we have embarked on a more self-corrective course in terms of addressing as many of our warts, wrinkles, and scars as possible than any other civilization in history. And that is one of the things that makes us special and it makes us unique uh, and something to be cherished. But to look at our history and say that we're not going to tolerate a full and robust conversation about it, I don't think is doing uh, right by our by our history and, and by what well, we owe Roger, the next I, generation. Well, I appreciate the answer, but I would dispute that. I, I don't. Are you, are you really suggesting that we don't in our school curriculum analyze our history? I think that's absurd. But uh, but I, I just want to suggest something as well. It's not that critical race theory, it's bad enough that they're claiming if you're white, you're somehow an oppressor, which you just admitted you're not. So you probably don't believe in critical race theory. Just, you know, it's tautological. But they want to address historical inequities you weren't responsible for. You just said it was your family members, not you. You had nothing to do with it. So I ask you, if critical race theory, we should address historical inequities. What are you personally doing to address your family's inequities? Are you redistributing your money, giving back property? I'm just kind of wondering if people live by their own, you know, their own principles. Unfortunately, with that illustrious history, it did not come with a lot of wealth. So I, w I wish I was in a situation where there could be something to be given away. The CRT shit is so prevalent. Here you have this lady, anti-fatness is a perpetuation and enforcement of white supremacist beauty standards. It's not harmless, and it didn't develop in a vacuum. Does that mean I'm not a racist now?
I'm just asking for a friend. Myself. Because I'm fat and I'm white. Response. As someone who is fat and trying to diet and exercise right, this critical race theory diet bullshit is going to cause a lot of people to die sooner. So Michelle Obama, let's move thing, which was promoting anti-fatness, was in fact racist. Who would have thunk that? I sure the hell didn't. But as we said a billion times on this show, it's just a Benjamins. Look at this. Reps from seven to eight universities attend racial healing circles at upcoming professional event. Association of American College and University hosts three sessions to develop more truth, racial hearing, and transformation. Campus centers across American universities. The campus centers are supported by AACNU and the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. Association of American Colleges. Woohoo! They're going to get in a circle. It's thrilled to partner with these people and get into the cult trance. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. That's just freaking awesome, man. We need more of this cult shit. Yeah. Not less. More. And then we get National Geographic, which once again you would think would be a straight up good place, but it's but it's not. And sadly, the article, I don't think you can get to it anymore. I think they blocked it. Let me see if that'll open up. I tried to open it up earlier, and it just told me to fuck off. Yeah. Enter your email reading address to continue. Okay, let's do this. All right, I'm going to get these. You got to see these pictures. Okay, I'm sorry about that, but I tried to get this, and it literally just got bogged down. It said I had to have a, a, a membership or some shit, and I was like, what the fuck? It's National Geographic. So here's a lady from a mass email editor of National Geographic sent out, America sure has an insufferable elite. Hope you'll join us. In this conversation as a subscriber in National Geographic, or editor-in-chief, National Geographic, race card, white privilege, much to learn. That's how it starts. And then you get in there. Ten years ago, Michelle Norris launched the race card project. <laughs> you understand what they're doing. It's like the reverse snowflake shit, right? Because everybody always says they're pulling out the race card, so they do it. Which asked people to describe their feelings on race in just six words. She thought few would respond. Here are some of the responses. Before we get to it, uh, I didn't get this guy. Black boy, white world, perpetually exhausted. I did get these moon bats. This is the picture she put up of hanging a black man in her house. Some would say that's disrespectful, but I guess when you're playing the race cards, you're good. Um... Let's get to the article. Um, my favorite's coming because it's my daughter. It's like totally my daughter. So this guy, Native American, America's invisible, invisible, invisible. We're not being acknowledged on our lands, our own continents, our own territories, and in the history books. But here we are, the invisible people, says Gene Tagabon, 56, of Ruston, Washington. Tagabon, whose tingnet name is Gyoya, is Cherokee. Okay. 
My mother hated my dark skin. I'm white, but I'm not basic. I'm a Mexican when it's convenient was one one of the people. Let me reduce this suck fucking bullshit. It just fuck me. Fuck me. This shit is so fucking stupid. Um, The project started at a time when events and trends evinced in a shake of America's social order. A black family was in the White House. Dramatic shifts in attitudes about gay marriage and LGBTQ issues. The after effects of 9-11 and demographic change that was abundantly apparent in advertisement. Crowds and malls. Students were in school and in the United States when the non-Hispanic white population had slipped into minority status. Still not counting. In the U.S., our national discussion of race are usually dictated and defined by big explosive events, debates over immigration, a pioneer breaks color bearer, hateful language spray painted on a storefront like kill Andy NGO, kill all cops, kill Whitey. Is that the paint you're talking about? Oh, you're not. Okay, that, that paint's good. A Confederate flag flying defiantly in the air, a Confederate mom monument tumbling to the ground. But there is an in- intimacy to the stories people tend to share in the project. Yet there is direct reference to slavery and affirmative action quotas and America's first black president. The kinds of things found in history books and news headlines. But more often than not, people emote about their kids and co-workers or neighborhoods or their church. The way the world responds to their accent, tradition, or body signs. Mark Quarles. People in the affluent neighborhood on the coast of Central California are friendly enough when he was accompanied by his wife, who's white and German, and their mixed-race children, says Quarles, 58. But the reception wasn't always much less friendly when he was alone. Yeah, of course. How'd your baby get red hair? Once had dreadlocks, now no better. Too blonde to be considered ethnic. I'm ashamed of my ancestors. This is my daughter. This is my daughter, and I know this thing is covering my face. That's my daughter. Let me blow this up. This is my daughter. Even looks like her, which is kind of scary. I'm ashamed of my ancestors' race. Lindsay Level Hendrick. Lindsay Level Hendrick works as a criminal justice reform for a large philanthropy in New York. She's woke-woke. But her roots are in South. She was born in Arkansas and later moved to San Diego and Atlanta. She says her ancestors ran a small plantation in Georgia and owned slaves. When I try and bring things up or I try to and criticize the South, you know, it's never gone over great with my family. Lovell Henrik, 33. These are people. Like if you got a hyphen name, you're, she doesn't even hyphen name. That's how douchebaggy she is. These are the people who raised me and made me the person that I am. Yet there's this tremendous disconnect between understanding our past. It's almost as if we see them through these totally different lenses. And I'm really struggling to sort of see how we can come together on that. Probably more so now than I felt a decade ago. My parents are garbage. That's that's what you say. Okay. Our honest hidden thoughts on race. No, we know we've known for many, many years the left hates that they're white and they hate white people and the black people hate white people. We've known that for a long time. I don't know any white people that ain't black people, but but it's what it is. 
Positioning black physicians investigators at the forefront of the vaccine effort in this temp boost vaccine uptake in black America community has critical implication for the future of black trust and for equity in medicine and healthcare. Although the COVID-19 pandemic is temporary, the long-lasting detrimental effects of this emergency will again fall on the most marginalized populations. NIH, look at us, we're woke. No, you're not. Whose fault is it? Whose fault? It's your fault. We're here because of you. Good evening. I'm Leland Vittered in for Joe. Tonight, further proof that anti-Semitism and the violence associated with it is tacitly acceptable in America, especially by the progressive left and the celebrities who have been quick the past couple of years to lecture all of us about tolerance. Overnight, pro-Palestinian mobs, complete with kafiyas, attacked Jewish diamond merchants, beating one viciously. Other mobs screamed epithets and spit in the face of Jewish diners on the streets of New York City and weaponized a firework, sending terrified Jewish diamond merchants running. The violence came after police tried to break up a Palestinian rally in Times Square. News Nation's Tom Nagovin was the only national TV reporter on the air yesterday, and his cameraman, Ronald Vilka, captured the beating of a Jew. His crime? Being a Jew. I want to apologize in advance for some of the images you may see in the next few minutes. We've been seeing them for the last little while. There's a lot of profanity being hurled around. A lot of spits, a lot of projectiles, a lot of anger. It's Tom Negavan and his crew there. Right now, a live look at Times Square. We're going to go live update from Tom in a few minutes on NYPD's hate crime investigation into the attack. And we understand there's been at least one arrest. Such violence against ethnic minorities is normally front page news. But the front page of the New York Times and Washington Post lacked a single headline today on a week of unprecedented violent attacks on Jews from Los Angeles to New York. The Washington Post does, however, offer readers a glowing profile chronicling the rise of Rashida Tlaib, a pro-Palestinian member of Congress, who met with President Biden in Michigan this week. Late last year, she retweeted an anti-Semitic slogan calling for the elimination of the state of Israel. Last week, she delivered a blistering attack on Israel as the Jewish state endured thousands of rockets from Hamas this past week. Eight minutes with the president, Rep. Rashida Tlaib, the lone Palestinian-American in Congress, gains relevance in Israel debate, says the headline from The Washington Post. It's a very different treatment than that of Republican Steve King, rightly removed from his committee assignments and widely condemned for his racist comments. But Tlaib got that tarmac meeting with the president and his praise. I admire your intellect. I admire your passion. And I admire your concern for so many other people. You're a fighter, and God, thank you for being a fighter. So, why the celebration of an accused anti-Semite by the president? Why the lack of coverage and outrage by America's major newspapers of the attacks? Why the silence from celebrities who can't wait to rally their Instagram and TikTok followers on everything from BLM to LGBTQ plus to climate change? No, I understand. That's the that's WGN. That's out of Chicago. The problem we have in our country right now 
is that there's certain type of violence, certain type of racism, CRT, that's okay. And there's certain type of fascism that's also okay. And it comes in the form of that NPR shit. So I'm going to blow this up. Come on, sweet pea. Let's blow up a little bit. So here are all our stupid fucking things that we talked about last week, but we didn't get in depth. Uh, Sex refers to a person's biology status and typical assigned at birth, usually on the basis of external autonomy. Sex is typically categorized as male and female or intersex. I'm really surprised they said that. Gender is often defined as a social construct or norms. No, it's not. It goes back to sex. Gender identity is one's own internal self and their gender. Gender expression is how a person presents their gender when they're really confused. Cisgender is an adjective that describes a person whose gender identifies lines of the sex they were assigned at birth. Now, this is where they're lying. This is a lie. Cis is a pejorative. It is like a, uh, a put-down. They don't say, oh, he's cisgender. They say they're cisgender. They're garbage people. Trans. Simply trans is an adjective used to describe someone whose gender identity differs from the sex assigned at birth. A transgender man, for example, is someone who is listed as a female at birth. Cisgender and transgender have their origins in Latin derived. No, you don't. Nope. Non-binary term that can be used by people who do not describe themselves or gender as fitting in the category of man or woman. Agender is an ge- adjective that describes a person who does not identify as any gender. Gender expansive. Same thing. Gender transition. Go in between. Dysphoria refers to a psychological... Do I have this on here? Yeah. <clears throat> a psychological distress that results from an incongruence between one's sex assigned at birth... Let me take us down just a little bit. At birth... And one's gender identity. Not all trans people experience dysphoria, and those who do have may experience in varied levels of intensity. Gender dysphoria is a diagnosis listed as a diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. Some argue that such diagnosis inappropriately pathologizes gender incongruence, while others contend that a diagnosis makes it easier for transgender people to access necessary medical treatment. That's a lie. That's just a fucking lie. That is the medical term until about six years ago. If all of a sudden I woke up and started putting on my wife's clothes, that's gender dysphoria. I have a mental condition. That's where it starts. It's not your body. Your body has a penis or a vajayjay. It doesn't wake up and change. You want to change it. Sexual orientation refers to the enduring physical, romantic, and emotional attraction to members of the same, the same and or other genders. No, it's the member of the other genders or the same. But see how they write that? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, straight. People don't need to have any specific sexual experience to know their own sexual orientation. They need not have any sexual experience at all. They need not to be in a relationship. You just wake up. This is them trying to spin that somehow, some way, little kids wake up and go, okay, intersex is some made-up bullshit that people that won't don't want to go with the other shit went with. 
Then they have a whole list of pronoun question and answers. The funniest thing about this, this is supposed to be a guide for journalists to be woke, not broke. And somehow, some way, they don't list the pronouns. Everyone has a pronoun and are used to referring to them and getting those pronouns right is not exclusively a transgender issue. Really, it is, because I don't give a fuck if you call me dude, chick, whatever. I don't give a fuck. I don't walk around going, D- I'm a dude. What's wrong with you? I don't care. It's never happened because I don't have gender dysphoria. Pronouns are basically how we identify ourselves as a part of our name. It's how someone refers to you in a conversation. And when you're speaking to people, it's a really simple way to uh, affirm their identity. So, for example, using the correct pronouns for trans and non-binary youth is a way to let them know that you see them, you affirm them, you accept them, and to let them know that they're loved during a time where they're going, they're being targeted by so many discriminatory anti-trans state laws and policy. Okay, list them. What laws and policies? The medical necessity now that we need to make sure that they can't do it till they're 18 because you're ruining children for life. Is that a policy? Bathrooms that have been around forever that are male and female and people don't want to take a dump next to a dude. Mostly women, black women, white women, Latino women, Martian women. You, You just lied. It's just a made up bullshit. It's just a lie. There are no targeted policies affecting 0.6 of the population. 0.06. It's not even 1%. What's the right way to find out a person's pronoun? Start by giving their own, for example. My pronouns are, no, go fuck yourself. No. If I was introducing myself to someone, I'd say, I'm Rodrigo. I use him. What about you? O'Hara says, it may feel awkward at first, but eventually it just becomes another one of these get-to-know-you questions. I missed the important part about all this. Why in the name of Zeus's ass crack do you need a racist piece of shit, Neanderthal, xenophobe, fucking piece, un-American jerk-off? Why do you need my affirmation? I'm a garbage human. I like the American flag. I don't think you should kill a baby in the third trimester. I don't think America's a racist piece of shit. I think we've done overdone what we've tried to made up for slavery and Jim Crow that was done by the fucking Democrats. I, I'm everything bad in the world. I don't vote for people for their genitalia or skin color. I'm garbage. I voted for Trump twice because you put up a fucking human douche nozzle this time. And before you put up the most criminal, fucked up human ever. She wasn't the most qualified. She was the most crooked. You didn't give me a choice. And then you lump on that you're going to have Brian Seltzer interviews for the next four fucking years. How can we help get your agenda out? So that makes me garbage. So why do you need to be affirmed by me? I don't need your affirmation. I don't need shit from you. I don't even fucking know you. 
I'm living my life. You're living your life. Why do I need you to say I'm a good person? But this goes back to what I say all the time. It's this fucking stupid phone shit with a fucking Facebook and WhatsApp and tic-tac-toe and every stupid fucking... Everybody believes I need likes. Ah, like me. I need likes. I need you to like me. No. I read for Martin Truex, the Oregon Ducks, and the Packers. I like brisket. I don't like pulled pork. You don't have to believe in any of that shit. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died on the cross for my sins. I don't expect you to believe that. So why do I have to, if, if this concept is true, that we need to affirm and and bend over backwards for people with the fucking mental illness, then every one of you motherfuckers better go out and get a Packer hat. And you better watch every Sunday and root for number 19, MTJ, because that's the world you're calling for. We all need to affirm everybody. When me and my wife go junkin', you motherfuckers better have salt and sugar, paper, salt, pepper, sugars. And I better be able to find Hot Wheels for my collection. If not, you're not affirming me. I need to be affirmed. Should people be asking everyone their pronoun? Yeah, it makes to say yes. Might some people be uncomfortable sharing their pronouns in public? For cisgender people, sharing the pronoun is generally pretty easy. So long as they recognize that they have pronouns. This fucking thing keeps getting bigger and bigger. What the fuck? Not like you want to see my face. Know who they are. For others, it could be more difficult to share their pronouns. But there are still benefits to sharing pronouns. And a dedication that they understand that gender expression does not equal gender identity. That you're not judging people just based on the way they look and make assumptions about their gender. You know what? Fuck you. Fuck you in the ass sideways with a fucking walrus dick. You guys tell everybody to judge each other on their appearance, their skin color, their fucking geography, their religion, their voting record. Your cock-sucking liberal rag, the New York Times, literally is targeting people by putting out how they voted online. If they own a gun, for fuck's sake, you will guarantee, because they're not going to get their AR repeal, this will be online. He owns an AR. He's a goddamn baby killer. It'll get online. It'll be out there because it couldn't take him. Now they're going to stick their brown shirts to remove them. How is they used as a singular pronoun? It isn't. Just like math, English, biology, science, everything is all a crock of shit. What if I make a mistake and misgender someone? Or use the wrong word. Simply apologize. I think it's perfectly natural not to know how the right words to use at first. We've only human. It takes any of us some time to get to know the new concept. The important thing is just to be interested and continue to learn. So if you mess up a language, you can say, oh, I'm so sorry. Correct yourself and move forward. No one need to make it any more complicated than that. Doing that really simply gesture of apologizing quickly and moving on shows the other person that you care. And that makes a really big difference. Okay. 
Well, then every one of you motherfuckers need to line up and start kissing my ass because you called me a fucking racist because I voted for Trump. You called me a fucking racist because I drove further to get groceries during fucking COVID. Even though I was masking, even though I was locked down, you called me a fucking racist because I believed we shouldn't have open borders. You called me a fucking racist because Trump won. You called me a racist because it was a day ending and why? So what am I getting my apology? People have lost their jobs off wrong pronouns. Why are pronouns typically given in the formal she, her, and they, them? The different iterations reflect the pronoun change based on how they used it in sense. And he, him format is actually shorter than the previously common him, him, or his. People used to say all three and then it got down to two. Yeah, whatever. What does it mean if a person uses the pronoun he, they, or she, they? They don't fucking know English. Why might someone name be different than what's listed on their ID card? Which brings me to this bullshit. They researched it from the Centers for Tranny Stupidity. Because, you know, we don't care about veteran suicides. Fuck that. Fuck the vet community. All we care about is this fucking trans 0.6%, 0.03% fought in the wars. Do we get an extra little special star? Am I going to get a a little cookie? What are some of the official records transgender people may change when they're transitioning? Driver's license, social security card, passport, bank accounts, credit cards, paycheck, lease, medical records, birth certificate, academy records, academic records. Where is it at? Right out of 1984, Brown University student newspaper will retroactively change transgender students' dead names. Because this is all under the ruse that they're committing suicide because you're using their dead name. Even though they're not, and there's not one fucking website that shows the genocide of transgender people. Can't find it. And then you have a major fucking journalist... Andrew Sullivan, we're reminded that the Stonewall liberation was led by trans women of color. This is patently untrue. It has always been untrue. Does the New York Times have fact checkers or is the narrative more important than reality? The Stonewall uprising was led by black, cis, and trans women who face housing issues throughout their lives. Pride is protest and our fight is to defend the right and to save home for everyone. Not true. Citation needed. Who is your historical? Stop lying. It's not true. It's not true. This, who it was. The chick dressed like a dude and the chick. But none of it's true. Nothing, nothing, nothing's ever true. All of this is bullshit, but this is the first time I've been proud of the military in a long time. Biden's Pentagon and State Department at odds over pride flag. Can I download this? Let me see if I can download this shit. 
Is it going to download? All right, let me see if I can get this sound by. Ah, fuck, I couldn't get the damn thing. It's a, it was a history of Pride Month. The Pence Department will not allow the Pride flag to be flown at installations under its purview, unlike the State Department spokesperson. After some careful consideration, the Department will maintain the existing policy regarding the display of military bases. There won't be exception made this Pride Month. And why do you think, boys and girls? Well, they ban MAGA, they ban everything but BLM. And they're too scared to go to the next step because, hey, those little fucking after-action reviews pretty much showed, yeah, they, 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 they're they off base. They are not on point with the military members. It basically showed most military people are going, you guys are full of fucking shit. But that's kind of the norm, isn't it? Here is Twitter helping out. Um, I got the right one. Oh, no, this is where they're... Look at this shit. We are deeply concerned by blocking of Twitter and Nigeria. We will work to restore access for all those in Nigeria who rely on Twitter to communicate and connect with the world. Let's break it down, boys and girls. They have bent over backwards for China because of the Benjamin. But Nigerian government, go fuck yourself. And then we have this. This is so awesome, and I wanted to end the show before we do some funny. This is the Jamel Hill tweet. Well, this right here, everything she said is false, correct? We know this. It's a lie. It basically sums up, we don't need election reform. But Twitter, being the good stoolies they are, journalist Jamel Hill, she ain't a journalist. She's a fucking activist. Says Democratic Senator Joe Manchin upholds white supremacy after he says he will not vote for a bill that would combat the waiver of restricted state voting laws. None of those laws are white supremacists. None of them restrict the votes of black people. Responses. Journalist? Journalist? Really? Very smart people are telling us Jamel Hill is a journalist. Angie NGO, or Andy NGO, is an author. Both should be, be surprised. Hitler, Mao, okay on eBay, but Seuss books had to get the boot. Time for lighter fare. It in. I've done that before. Stitching that ribbon. Oh! oh. Rolling. Crispy, you're ruining the interview. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
Today was an adaptive uh, shooting event for a lot of service members that came out here that are wounded. Hey, shut up! The genesis of this was I started shooting arrows with my trad bow. I fell in love with it and I got linked up with this gigantic human. He and I started talking about it really early. John and I were like, man, this could really help a group of people. What I felt was the, the best way to start was like, let's bring out the people that have been affected, I think the most by war. And let's lead the community to go out and try something new. And what the intent of this is to inspire people to go out and do epic shit together. There it is. Yeah! yeah. Woohoo! Right. Oh! Yeah! What's up, man? The brain's behind the operation. Oh, I don't know if that's the truth. So this is the Black Rifle Adaptive Athlete Shoot. And so this was a version of the Total Archery Challenge that Evan and I had shot together three years ago. And that was his first big archery tournament where there was a challenge to it. The adaptive athlete designation to it can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people, depending on what limitations they have. You know, there's people here who on face value don't look like they need some sort of adaptation or something. And that can be the unseen, you know, PTS and, and traumatic brain injury and stuff like that. The teamwork aspect is huge. Um, when a lot of folks are suffering going through a traumatic injury or like a residual mental issue, it's easy to self-isolate. And so when you bring them to an event like this, where we have tons of people together, we have huge sponsors, we have everybody that only cares about helping this person out. There's no, well, you need to do something for me. So they get to come out here and be part of a huge team and see people that really care, it's huge. They get to come out here and they get to practice the skills that they learned and with Operation During Warrior, we teach them archery skills and then we put them through events like this. Caleb and I adopted archery at about the same time. And that came up in a random conversation over the phone is, yeah, man, like when I pick up my bow and go shoot, like everything else goes away. And Caleb being a, a, a veteran, you know, with a, some significant injuries, he needed that as well. We came over last year with Black Rifle, had a blast. And I remember he asked me, he's like, how come we don't have a, an archery program? I was like, why don't you create it, you know? Guy really worked his ass off, um, you know, the recruiting veterans, uh, law enforcement, firefighters. Last year, pretty much everybody was new to archery. And we spent two days, one kind of like zeroing the bow, and then the second day shooting. Like right now, we provide training for them, so when they come to these events, they feel more prepared, they feel more confident. So, holding them accountable, is, I don't wanna say, but we're taking any excuse away. Like we can provide training, we can help you with the hunts, you know, like we can, we got, at the end, you gotta do it. So we are in Texas near San Antonio and it's hill country. It's beautiful, it's green, rolling hills, we're next to a lot of water. There's something super therapeutic about just that environment for everybody and being outdoors. But this right here is perfect environment for somebody with a mobility impairment to be able to go out and shoot on a 3D course. There's 3D courses that are typically inaccessible to somebody like me with missing two legs or somebody that's in a wheelchair because they're on steep rocky terrain up in mountains. It's rough, I'm gonna make no mistakes. So you got the other there's no suspension. <laughs> No, it's good. I think it's fucking. It looks like it's good. 
So they've specifically designed this course so that everybody, whether they have um, prosthetics or they're in a wheelchair, can access every target. They can get to the shooting spots. They can get to the target to pull their own arrows. I was fortunate to come out here and, and help set it up as far as the adaptive side to see if it was uh, maneuverable in a wheelchair. So the track chairs are all terrain. Uh, they have tank tracks on them pretty much. Um, you can take them anywhere. You can take them up pretty steep slopes and go through water, rocks, sand, all that. What's cool about this particular event is a lot of these shots are much trickier and harder than what you would do as a bow hunter. It's almost like we've pushed it way beyond what you would want as a bow hunter shot. So on some of these, what's fun is people are expecting to like miss. So on some of them, just hearing the sound of that foam is super rewarding. Nice, dude. Oh, Fuck yeah. That's dead. And hearing the sound of a rock or a piece of wood in an arrow is equally humorous. Nice. It's the fucking hustle. Oh, I don't know if I can hit that out there. What do you guys say we put like 20 bucks on this? <laughs> Archery can be a lot of things to a lot of different people. And I think to a community like veterans, first responders, where there are other things in the past to overcome or, you know, busy mind or something like that. The fact that Evan has doubled down on, on that aspect of archery and bringing it to people to help them cope, you know, through life and, and, and do things without pharmaceuticals and enjoy the outdoors. It's a, a coping mechanism, so to speak, and, and just a, a practice. It becomes a practice like it would be, you know, meditation or yoga or something like that to me. You're learning how to mentally focus your mind in a positive way and translate that to the real world. It's kind of crazy, you know, I started as a hobby and then as I got serious, I started, I started finding out all these other aspects to it. Like the guys that are shooting at the really, really, really high level. I mean, they have mental coaches, they have uh, physical strength and conditioning coaches. Archery, I found out it was 90% mental, 10% technical. And uh, it took me probably about a year and a half to master the, that mental aspect to where I could actually go out there and concentrate and shoot. Because I would, I would sit there and as I'm aiming at the target, I would hear people in the background and start thinking about, man, I wish they'd shut up. And, boom, I missed the target. Or what am I gonna have for dinner tonight? Things like that. But now I, I was able to train my mind to actually focus on hitting the 10. Nice. Mm -hmm. I had Jason Tabansky as a part of my team. And once I got to hang out with him a little bit and learn his story, I was absolutely blown away. Uh, this man randomly got strep throat and without knowing it, it had crept into his spine and he fell out of a helicopter, woke up in the hospital and he was paralyzed from the chest down completely randomly. And for the last 10 years, archery has been his thing that's gotten him centric. It's got him back focused again. And on top of that, he's just an absolutely incredible shooter. He has oodles of championships under his belt. This is like the perfect group of characters where everybody is a character and they're all awesome for a different reason. Leah Cornell, 
She participated in the Olympics in 2016. She's like the first female to qualify as a W1. So W1 is a category for severe injury. She was in the army, received the anthrax shot. So she's like one of those, you know, when you read the back of the medication, like 99 point something percent, she's like one of those more percentage of um, allergic reactions. So it caused, it, it caused nerve damage, hands, legs, she's unable to walk. So she's not just in a wheelchair. Like she, if you see her ball, like she has to mold something with like pudding to, so like the ball just sits in her hand where it's supposed to be because she doesn't have that much control. So like for her, it's just being able to like now teach other veterans and just passing knowledge down. It's pretty amazing. I'm just happy that I shot better than Matt and Crispy and Evan because they kind of saw it. And um, I hope they hear this and see this and realize how much better I am than they are. What? How low is that? It was pretty low. Uh, I wonder if he hit that first branch. How much better than Logan were you at shooting? No, no, Logie. It, Logie, Logie has a pass because I love him. Nice. Jason. It goes back to community. Between the pandemic, between guys who go through hard times, kind of typically isolate, having the things on the books where we come together and we're doing an activity. We're not sitting in a circle talking about each other's problems. We're actively doing something together. So it creates this communal environment where you go back to the things that you used to do in the military. You're talking shit, you're shooting stuff, you're working on your discipline and having that thing where it brings it all together. After we talk about this as a group, we're like this is the thing that we need to do every single year. Definitely an annual event, but we're like in the process, just like we're getting coffee shops all over the place right now. This will become a regional thing where you, we bring together guys who can do this on a local basis and do it on a much more frequent basis. But I think that community-wise, it's going to have such a huge impact across the board to where it gets people outside again in this time when we really need it. It's not only our mission, but it's our obligation to do right in this community. And I hope that the company, as we continue to grow, inspires people to chase their dreams and not be scared. I hope this gets a lot bigger next year and we have more service members out here and help it keep growing and growing. And hopefully one day we can be out here and there's 300 service members shooting their bows and enjoying the outdoors with every single one of us. Shot my 60 yard pin on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the opportunity to once again be part of something or give back. Like it's, there is a big problem with uh, soldiers transitioning into the civilian world. And it's kind of, let's call it Monday blues, you know? You live such an exciting or accelerated life, you know? Like, I mean, in my my job, I was an infantry soldier, a paratrooper. So you go from blowing shit up and jumping out of airplanes to trying to find the motivation to like, what makes sense? Like, you know, like training doesn't make sense no one likes to wake up a fighter in the morning to go running or rocking like so when you get out like there is really no reason like i mean like the the world is pretty uh, i don't know what to say like pretty accommodating to anything like you don't even have to go up the stairs there's escalators everywhere there is no reason for you to walk three five miles a day like it's it's hard to assimilate so doing this give us the opportunity to once again like give back like be part of a team and pretty much motivate other ones to to do better you know it's like getting back into the fight
Funny stuff. That's Black Rifle Coffee. Do epic shit. Been wanting to play it. Had to download it. Just haven't had the time to do it, but I did today. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com to get this episode and the last episode and video and audio and a link to get every video and every audio we've ever done. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. We're going to go with a Monday, Monday, Monday. 14 June, Year of Our Lord, 2021 podcast. It'll be in the afternoon after I get done. If something gets changed, it'll be Tuesday. So the 14th, the 15th will be your next one because I have a medical appointment that morning. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend. Make sure you spend it with your family and tune back in for the next one. Thanks for listening. Take care.